0: Bullseye! Dart hits its mark! And the artist behind that gorgeous image of Jupiter, this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. They did it. And they did it in the most spectacular way. The Double Asteroid Redirection Test spacecraft smashed into Asteroid Demorphos right on time, Monday, September 26th. We'll hear highlights of the last moments of its flight, and we'll get a post-impact report from DART Coordination Lead Nancy Shabo. Then we'll meet Judy Schmidt. Her name may not be familiar, but I bet her work is, get ready for a charming conversation with one of our planet's leading amateur processors of astronomical images. Her work includes those stunning JWST shots of Jupiter that were featured everywhere a few weeks ago. Have no fear, Bruce is also here with his usual night sky survey and a new space trivia contest that also celebrates DART. Can you hear it in my voice? I had a blast at last week's NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts, or NIAC, symposium, and you'll hear my coverage soon, but I started feeling unwell on the trip home from Tucson. You guessed it, I tested positive for COVID that evening. No worries, it has been a relatively mild case, and I'm hoping to end my isolation soon. As you'll hear me tell Nancy Shabo, it helped to be looking forward to that spectacular DART impact, which easily reaches the top of this week's Space Headlines. We'll also note that the Artemis-1 Space Launch System rocket and the Orion spacecraft made it safely back to the Kennedy Space Center Vehicle Assembly Building before Hurricane Ian hit Florida. Sadly, this means a more substantial delay in this uncrewed return to the moon. We've also got more proof that the JWST is good for much more than peering across the deep cosmos. Take a look at the September 23 edition of the Downlink, our free weekly newsletter. It features a spectroscopic examination of Mars by the Big new Space Telescope. The data has already helped scientists gain new insights about the red planet. The downlink also notes France's intent to increase space spending by a quarter to about 9 billion euros. The European Space Agency looks to do the same. There's much more to discover at planetary.org downlink. Congratulations to the entire international DART team on your knockout success. I was watching online with hundreds of thousands, probably millions around the globe, as the spacecraft closed in on Dimorphos. The last image, relayed to Earth just before the spacecraft smashed into the 85-meter asteroid, revealed a boulder-strewn surface, much like what we've seen on Ryugu and Bennu. Those boulders didn't know what hit them. I've compressed the last thirty minutes of the mission into just over four. The first voice you'll hear is Mission Systems Engineer Elena Adams polling the key players. Also featured from the Applied Physics Lab webcast is Lori Glaze, NASA's Planetary Science Division Director.
1: This is Dart MSC on DT Mock. It is time for the last status poll. Yes. We're. A- about what, 7,000 miles from Demorphos at this point. So, yay! All right. Um, image quality. How are we doing?
2: Still looking very good. Uh, Demorphos still tracking along that same brightness predict as Didymos.
1: That's great. All right. We're <laughs> yes. Thank you. All right. <laughs> uh, SmartNav. SmartNav is looking nominal. We are at under 30 meters of projected miss distance right yeah, now. Yeah, it's looking really good. Look at that. That's that's looking fantastic. Uh, GNC.
0: GNC also looking good. We've we've been very excited to do those burns. So <laughs> we've been waiting a long time.
1: <laughs> oh, this is great. Autonomy. Autonomy is green. The heaters are cycling nominally, and we've had no new uh, fault rules firing. Okay, wonderful. DSN.
3: DSN is green, and
2: ESA is green. Got plenty of margin. Looks good.
1: All right, ground systems. Ground system has been helping a few users manage clients, but everything is going fine there, and we are green. Yes, wonderful. Thank you, guys. Completes the poll. Um, last one last one all right so didymus is looking like itself we'll see what dimorphous is looking like soon
4: MSC this is SN5 go ahead SN5 we are precision locked and still tracking dimorphous
1: yes This was our last milestone. At this point we're going to be uh, working towards Dimorphos. I expect we're going to do some burns. We're about 4,500 miles away from Didymos and Dimorphos, so let's see what happens. This is Dart MSC on DTMog. Five minutes till impact. Five minutes till impact. We are at 1,100 miles away. <laughs> Also, our window for sending any commands to the spacecraft is done. <laughs> Contingencies done. <laughs> 14,000 miles per hour, and remember, you know, uh, 45 minutes ago, 55 minutes ago, we couldn't even resolve this this object in space, and now we are—you can see us zeroing in right on target. I Think we're starting to see more more resolution. In fact, look at that, Didymos is has even gone out of the view. We're now just seeing dimorphos. Oh my goodness, look at that.
0: Looks like control system settling down, angular rates look really good. I think we're gonna get the investigation team some good pictures.
1: No, no, come on, we can do better than that. <laughs> uh, starting to see those individual boulders there. You can see uh, shadows of uh, various rocks on the surface. Amazing, guys. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. Unbelievable. Yeah. Looks to me like we're headed straight in. Oh, my gosh. Woo. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Eight, yeah. Seven, oh, six, wow. Five, four, three, two, one. Oh, my gosh. <gasps> oh, wow.
3: getting visual confirmation.
1: All right! We got it? And we have impact! (laughs) A family for humanity in the name of planetary defense! Fantastic! Oh, fantastic!
5: What a team and what an
1: accomplishment!
0: Lori Glaze, Elena Adams, and others as Dart hurtled toward asteroid Demorphos. DART Coordination Lead Nancy Shabot has kept us informed about the mission for years. You may have caught my extended conversation with her on last week's show, recorded as DART closed in. Nancy graciously allowed me to check in with her again just a half day after the astonishing climax of the mission. Nancy, what can I say? Wow. Absolutely astounding success. Congratulations.
5: Oh, thank you. I think wow and astounding are just fine things to say. Uh, The excitement is still high here at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, where I am right now, the next day after what was a smashing spectacular success last night.
0: A smashing success, indeed. I I would be shocked. I'd be so disappointed if people weren't still thrilled there. I just told you before we started recording – That this has made my uh, COVID isolation much more easy (laughs) because I had this to look forward to and then to celebrate as I and, gosh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, watched it last night as we speak. That was just so exciting. Where were you when the impact happened?
5: Well, I was here at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, and I'll just say that um, I hope you're feeling okay and, you know, and doing well. You know, it's a, you know better. it's the Thank world you. we live in. Um, but the world that we live in is an interesting place, right? There's a low things and high things that we can all celebrate together, right? I think one of the things this morning that I really value about this is that the team and the world experienced this moment together at the same time in all their different plays. You were in your house. uh, I was sitting actually um, at the NASA broadcast desk, which was a a little surreal because I was slated to go on right after that. And so they get you in that chair early. And you're sitting there and, uh, you know, it's uh, me and the host and some camera people. And we're all watching that TV there in real time in this kind of isolated, quiet environment. We were celebrating (laughs) our little team. But over here at Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, you saw the Mission Operations Center, you know, they were standing up and celebrating and everything like that. Uh, There was a a big watch party out here. And so uh, people were outside a a lot of the team members were able to bring their families and they were outside watching it here and uh parties were around the world for watch parties with this and i think everybody has a little story about like how they saw this happen
0: Great job, by the way. I saw you at the anchor desk there, uh, almost closing out uh, the webcast last night, uh, the live coverage. And we actually had a recording one of my colleagues made of that watch party that our boss, Bill Nye, uh, Mm -hmm. had a part in. It was great to see him as part of that as well. You were watching as Lori Glaze, the head of the Planetary Science Division, was also blown away by that smashing success.
5: Yeah, I think we all um, gathered here together and the team has worked so hard in order to make that moment happen. It really has been years and hundreds, really actually thousands of people when you take our international team into consideration that have worked on this for years. Even before that, it was a concept that people wanted to do. Um, So to have everybody come together for that moment and we knew we were ready, we knew we had tested, but that doesn't change the fact that it was hard and had never been done before. Uh, So there's, there's nerves and anxiety anticipation uh, and then just so much joy when those images came in and they were beautiful. They were beautiful images. I, I mean, I just think about the team that built that camera, you know, here at APL, like how proud must they be? That team that designed the autonomous navigation, right? I mean, and it just, it went right into that asteroid. Everything was fabulous. And I will say that people here on the science team, even though we had a big watch party here at APL with Bill Nye, like you said, Um, Some of them went up into their offices to start running models right away, like saw those first images and said like celebrated and then they're like, let's get to work understanding what this means people have been waiting for this moment for um, on both sides from the technology, establishing that you could target a small asteroid in space and then on the science side, like what actually happens when you run a spacecraft into an asteroid and that's where we are now.
0: The scientists must be thrilled by those last images, which looked a lot like what we got to see at Ryugu and Bennu. Uh, Lots of lots of pretty little boulders,
5: lots of pretty little boulders and rocks. And uh, I think one of the things that uh, we've been talking about on the science side is... uh... I don't know, maybe how unremarkable the shape is. You know that it's kind of like an egg. You know, I guess is what people are describing it as to a certain extent. We haven't done all the analysis and the modeling, but you know, a lot of other objects that we've seen in space they turn out to have these weird shapes. You know, and there was a, you know, the comet CG that Rosetta went to, Teriumov-Gerasimenko, right? You know, and they called that the rubber ducky, and you know, and instead it's like you were just zooming in uh, with those Draco images, which were spectacular, onto sort of this mostly roundish kind of asteroid, and that's, that's. That's fascinating in itself.
0: I'm also thinking now of Arakoth, which I was there at APL when those images came in, that big dog bone shaped object. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, Demorphos doesn't have to feel ashamed because it (laughs) it has a boring shape. Um, Do we have any idea yet what the scale of those images was? I mean, just how big were those rocks and boulders?
5: Well, the final images that came out sort of show things at the um, ten centimeters, less than ten centimeters, sort of scale. So you're really wow. seeing these like fine details down in those final images. So, but you came in really quick, right? So uh, saying that isn't the the one second image before that was uh, yeah. was uh, six kilometers further away. So your scale was quite different. So, uh, but the final images there and just that little partial image that came across yes. is uh, has the highest resolution. So it'll be. Uh, It'll be fun that we have that data at so many different scales from just seeing it as a few pixels of a point of light and then going into being able to see things that are like the size of your hand.
0: That was so poignant, that last image. I couldn't help but think of the DART spacecraft as trying to return one more image before it was vaporized. And that's exactly what happened, right?
5: Oh, yeah. No, the Darth spacecraft was on its mission, doing what it was designed to do, doing what it wanted to do in a lot of ways, right? This, is, this was its mission. This was its moment. All eyes turned on it while it accomplished it spectacularly, and it was working right up until the last second. So basically,
0: Draco, the camera, and AutoNav, flawless, right?
5: They worked fabulously. It's spectacular. The teams who did those should be really proud, as should everybody on this yeah. mission. I know, I know I am just, you know, contributing my part uh, to this much bigger project that it took so many people to accomplish. And uh, you test, you get ready. And then when it actually works like that, it's, uh, it's still special, even though that's what you had designed it to do.
0: Do we have any word yet about whether Licia Cube, that, that little Italian uh, space agency CubeSat, uh, was it successful in imaging the impact?
5: Yeah, so uh, you know we were celebrating those Draco images in here, but Leecher Cube was still working, right? You know, so it was busy out there in space gathering those images, and yeah, they were lucky enough to get some uh, downlink time and get them back quickly. I think uh, they just had a press conference actually a few minutes that ended a few minutes before I'm here talking to you, where they showed some of those first images, and uh, mm-hmm. just seeing them there, you know, I only saw them briefly, but uh, it, they looked spectacular. So it, it's tremendous. We're super happy and excited for our Italian colleagues, and we're excited for this international mission that is DART and Lycia Cube and, and scientists around the world for planetary defense for this international issue and um, everybody working together to understand what this means for planetary defense and potentially protecting the Earth in the future.
0: Huge congratulations then to uh, those folks at, uh, at OSI who pulled this off. Can't wait to see those images. I have not seen those yet. Any preliminary reports yet from ground-based telescopes that were watching. And I saw that even the Hubble and JWST have their eyes on Dimorphos.
5: Yeah, so even last night, uh, and especially on social media, you know, the telescopes that could directly image the impact event, you know, we're in the, that position at the night here on the Earth. Uh, they started to post some images where they saw brightening of the system, the brightening due to that pulverized rock and ejecta that was uh, thrown off during DART's energetic collision with the with demorphos. And and they noticed that in the telescopes. And it was fun to watch telescopes in these different locations continually post these pictures or these little short movies of uh, of that happening and so that was an immediate confirmation JWST and HST they were they were looking too and those data are making their way here and people are analyzing them um, so i expect probably in the next uh, day or so we'll probably have be able to get some results out from those and then we need to figure out what the period changes that's going to take a longer baseline so that the telescopes got some initial Work. They're still characterizing, you know, how long the ejecta will stay in the system, how long it'll take for that brightening to damp down because you need that ejecta and brightening to damp down before you can make that measurement again of like how much the period change was because you can't really make that sensitive measurement of dimorphos going around didymos if your system is super bright with all the dust all over the place. But having the dust all over the place is a huge thing to study, right? So, uh, you know, we've always hoped for ejecta and dust that we could study and get information from that and being able to get the period change as we go forward. So it's uh, it's hard to believe <laughs> it hasn't even been 24 hours <laughs> since this happened because the data is coming in so quickly and uh, we're just excited about digging into it and figuring out what it means.
0: But in some ways, from what you're saying, the most important data is still ahead to see if DART was successful in nudging this uh, this asteroid.
5: Well, I think Dart is already successful, so <laughs> I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna quarrel with that uh, phrasing of that question. I think uh, Dart successfully hitting the asteroid was was really one of the main challenges. Uh, even oh. the mass that we were bringing in just with the spacecraft alone would have been enough um, to to move the asteroid. I think the question has always been, how much. How effective is it going to be? And that's where we're at. And so regardless of what that answer is, I don't think DART's success rests on it. Instead, that's the purpose of doing a test that's never been done before. And that's the information that we need to be ready going forward.
0: I certainly don't mean in any way. (laughs) The accomplishment that that took place last night, it, it is mind boggling. And I look forward to hearing those results, of course. But aren't we still just at the beginning here I mean, really, if we're going to do effective planetary defense based on this research, don't we need to do this five or 10 more times?
5: Well, this is just one part of a larger planetary defense strategy. And, uh, and yeah, DART is not something that you do in isolation. You know, fundamental to planetary defense is knowing where the asteroids are. And so we really need to have that warning time. Something like DART only works if you can do this years in advance, like you were saying. And so that's why it's got to be a priority for finding those asteroids, assessing them, and constantly identifying if there is a threat to the Earth, and then putting us in a position where we have the warning time to potentially do something about it. Yeah, DART, though, from uh, being able to protect the Earth potentially from asteroids if a threat was found in the future, you know, it's always important. We probably should say there are no known asteroid threats to the Earth from the ones that we've discovered so far. Earth has been hit by asteroids for billions of years, and this will continue, though, right? So we want to be in a position to be ready, even though there is no known threat currently. Yeah, DART was just the start. Um, It's this first step of developing this technology. It's not the last step in developing this technology. And it's exciting that we live in this future where we've taken this first step and ready to take more going forward.
0: Nancy, thank you to you, the entire DART team, for helping us achieve this first step with such excitement uh, for people around the world. And thank you again for for joining us, uh, really just ours after this, uh, uh, what, what did you call it again? A, s- a
5: smashing, spectacular success. <laughs> there
0: you go. <laughs> I, uh, I hope that there is uh, much more great data ahead of us in the coming days. And uh, look forward to maybe welcoming you back to uh, get a little uh, summary once uh, we have most of that data in. Thank you so much for actually for years now, keeping us uh, up to date on what's happening with DART.
5: Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for sharing it. I think that's really what we do these missions for, too, as well. You know, here on the team, we're just uh, this is all part of uh, something that we want to share with the world. So thank you for helping making that happen.
0: You bet. And I will say it again, and I don't think it'll be the last time. Go Dart.
5: <laughs> well, Dart's done, it's done, but the team is still busy.
0: <laughs> Double Asteroid Redirection Test Coordination Lead, Nancy Shabo. By the way, here's what you'd have heard at the APL watch party led by Bill Nye. Listen as the excitement peaks each time a new image appears on the big screen. Did you catch the fireworks at the end? We'll turn in a minute to my lovely conversation with ACE astronomical image processor, Judy Schmidt. Stick around.
4: Hello, I'm George Takei, and as you know, I'm very proud of my association with Star Trek. Star Trek was a show that looked to the future with optimism, boldly going where no one had gone before. I want you to know about a very special organization called the Planetary Society. They are working to make the future that Star Trek represents a reality. When you become a member of the Planetary Society, you join their mission to increase discoveries in our solar system, to elevate the search for life outside our planet, and decrease the risk of Earth being hit by an asteroid. Co-founded by Carl Sagan and led today by CEO Bill Nye, the Planetary Society exists for those who believe in space exploration to take action together. So join the Planetary Society and boldly go together to build our future.
0: Want to get full benefit from my conversation with amateur image processor Judy Schmidt? First, go to Flickr.com and search for Gexilla.com. That's GECK, as in GECKO, G-E-C-K-Z-I-L-L-A. Or cruise through her Twitter posts where she's at Space GECK. Judy is an amateur the way great amateur astronomers are amateurs. The only difference between her and a pro is that she does this work purely for love of the images and sharing them. I'd seen her credit many times, but it wasn't till the release of those beautiful infrared images of Jupiter that I knew we should talk. She joined me a couple of weeks ago from her home studio, where her new son mercifully let us get through the entire interview. Judy, thank you for joining us on Planetary Radio. It it really is an honor, and probably long overdue, uh, getting to talk to the person behind so many of the beautiful, beautiful images. Uh, Maybe they started as beautiful, but you certainly have enhanced a lot of them. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you. It's, It's good to meet you and be here. We
0: probably should have met for other reasons as well. You've been writing or you you wrote a few years ago some pieces for the Planetary Society, and we'll link to those and many of the other things that we talk about in this conversation uh, on this week's uh, episode page, planetary.org slash radio. Uh, But people can also search uh, all around the web for your work. It's not hard to find, and we'll talk about some of it beginning right now with those JWST Jupiter images. To say that they are breathtaking is really just to repeat what the entire world has been saying since you published them. So congratulations on those. Have any of your past images received anything like this level of recognition and, and acclaim?
2: No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, there was one time one got on CNN, but it was barely a blip. Like. It was a very popular image, but nobody cared or knew who I was. So it was a, there was this gravitational lens that looked like a smiley face, and people just went, they're just like, what? There's, <laughs> it's called the Cheshire Cat, and it looks like this big grinning face in space.
0: My wife, who is not much of a space person, when I mentioned I'd be talking to you, and I said, you probably have seen her Jupiter images. She said, oh, yes, the ones with the great white spot and i said well yeah in infrared it, it came out white <laughs> but but usually it's red and we had a great conversation generated just by that image i think it says something about the power of these astronomy and and uh, astrophysical images to uh, to change people's
2: thinking of course yes of course we've we've always had infrared imagery of jupiter but maybe it didn't quite captivate people because it was processed a little differently. Or NASA does like a Halloween Jupiter every now and then, and it's this sort of red fiery Jupiter. <laughs> I've seen and it. That, yeah. I mean, that one's looks pretty cool, but at the same time, it's like, okay, it's a single color image that's been mapped to this fiery color scheme. So maybe it asks fewer questions. Yeah. It doesn't show the auroras or it doesn't show the rings. You you can still recognize the great red spot, but not necessarily anything else. So I don't know why. I that's I, a good it's a really good question. Like why suddenly everybody's so like, wow, this these images are amazing. <laughs> that's like they've they've long been amazing, but what is it about? Maybe it's just the combination of it being the brand new JWST shiny telescope that, and there's like all this for better or worse controversy about how long it took and how much it cost. Not sure.
0: You're probably on to something with that. But I also think that these are simply particularly stunning images. And, and that's not just me and a lot of other layperson space geeks talking. I have talked to quite a few planetary scientists who are also just in awe of that set of images, and I think that you've made them feel better about their work as well.
2: Really? Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you're you are in Flickr, and the reason that I mentioned that is that first of all, people ought to go there. And by the way, I I didn't even know there was something called Flickr Pro, but I donated a month of Flickr it Pro was to you. Your- <laughs> You're welcome. Email it was nothing. You. It, it's very inexpensive. And I guess it, it's a decent way to provide at least a little bit of support for the work that you're doing. That Flickr account, which, of course, we will also put up a link to on this week's show page. It's just one stunner after another. Uh, it goes on and on. And the same is true for your, your Twitter account at uh, space You have a thing for geckos, by the way.
2: Space Geek was born because Gexilla was already taken for some reason on Twitter. It's some lady who hasn't posted in many years now, but I can't get the account name. And I thought, you know, what if I could get it? Would I even change it? Because everything links to Space Geek, so maybe not.
0: <laughs> now, I think, you, I think you absolutely need to keep this now. I love Space Geck. And uh, <laughs> um, I I do strongly encourage people to go there because there is image after image. We will only get to talk about a handful of them uh, here uh, among the other topics that I hope to discuss with you. But really, folks, you got to take a look and and maybe check out that way of supporting uh, her work. Uh, how did you get into this?
2: About ten years ago, Issa did a contest called Hubble's Hidden Treasures, and I was like, really? Everyone can download the data and just process it? I had no idea. So I just started, first I had to figure out how to find the data, which is, if you've never done it before, it's pretty daunting because I didn't know what any of the filters meant. I'm like, what What does this even mean? So I'm sitting here searching for these search terms pulling up the handbook and like, oh, here's something that can explain it, sort of. (laughs) But little by little, I have come to an understanding about what each of these things are, because, you know, no one really, there was no one that I could just ask and say, what does this mean? (laughs) I mean that Issa, they got Zolt Levay to do a tutorial on how he processes it. And I have built upon that tutorial ever since, so. Zolt LeVay is my, (laughs) I mean, like, I can't say he's my mentor because it was just one tutorial, but I I, Mm -hmm. uh, really looked up to him and I used his work to as a a goal. I'm like, I need to be as good as Zolt. (laughs) I guess that's what he did. So I kind of studied his work, you know, anytime they would post a new image, I would look at it and say, well, how can I get my work to look like his work. When I was doing images that he hadn't worked on, then I could use what I'd learned from that on any image. So mm. that's that's sort of how I taught myself.
0: I'm fascinated by that fact, that you basically are self-taught. I mean, I wish that you had crossed paths with my my dear old friend and, and former colleague, Emily Lakdawalla, who picked it up Kind of, I think, the same way that you did, but you, you do cross paths now and then, right?
2: Yes. I've learned a few things from her, too.
0: Mm. And Emily has, I, I will mention, uh, still has uh, a course, a basic course in uh, digital imaging uh, that's available at planetary.org. You can find that and yeah, we'll link to that as well so that you can get a little bit more guidance than, than uh, Judy had to work with uh, when she was uh, starting out. There is a community of of image processors, isn't there? And and do you share information?
2: Yeah, I mean, anytime someone asks me a question, either on Twitter or through the Flickr messaging system or they they every now and then someone hunts down my email. I mean, I made it it's kind of purposefully difficult to find my email address. So, mm. yeah, that's uh, that's yeah. one thing
0: we will not provide on on the show page. <laughs>
2: I answer any questions and I try to help anyone who wants to get into it. A lot, a lot of people do it and they, they do it for just a little bit and they're satisfied with that short amount of time that they learn to do it or they life just happens and they don't have enough yeah. time because it is a very time consuming hobby. Another
0: friend, uh, Elizabeth Howell, a few days ago, uh, published in, on space.com, uh, a nice interview with you. Uh, the article was called, Here's how to edit James Webb Space Telescope Images. You you talk about some of your techniques there as well. It uh, seemed like some pretty good guidelines.
2: I've done a number of interviews over the past couple of weeks, really mm. surprised at how many people wanted to do interviews. And it's actually hard for me to remember which, but I think she was the one I uh, I was a lot more detailed in. She wanted to know everything. And I tried to explain it as concisely as I could, but <laughs> I haven't had a chance to read the article either. She and you did a
0: good job with it, I thought. I mean, and she's Thank great. You. Well, she's a great science writer and a good scientist as well. So, I mean, I, I wasn't surprised. Has it gotten easier to find the um the sort of Im- the images that you base your work on. I mean, I, I I know about some of these places that where you can find them. In fact, one the astrophysics source code library uh, that was founded in 1999 at, at Michigan Tech. It has other partners now, like NASA. You're listed there as the designer and developer. But is that is that some place you rely on, or do I misunderstand this?
2: Oh no, that's that's a different. That's for astronomy source code. That I mean, a few of them might be for image processing, but Alice was using a forum as sort of a repository for these codes and she didn't have a single place for it. And oh my gosh, <laughs> one night I was just like, you need a real website. And I guess it took me a couple of days, but I put together her website for her and copied hmm. all of the forum posts and turned them into actual database entries. This is
0: source code more for working astronomers, amateur professional astronomers. Mm -hmm. I may have been in the Elizabeth Howells uh, interview uh, with you, but you talked about the MAST archives, the one named after Barbara Mikulski, the the former senator uh, from Maryland, who made sure that we got the JWST eventually.
2: Right. And Hubble, right?
0: Yeah. And Hubble. That's right. <laughs> yeah. She was uh, always sticking up for... Probably her. other things John, too. Yeah. Johns Hopkins and Goddard and, and uh, you know, uh, probably single-handedly. I hope to get her on the show someday. uh, she's, uh, uh has said that she'd be interested maybe at the, uh, at the end of this year or early next year. If it's not me, maybe somebody else would be talking to her on on Planetary Radio, but, but tell me about this this archive and, and how you make use of it.
2: Right. That's my go-to. It used to be the HLA, which is the Hubble Legacy Archive, but that one is not quite up to date. It's really good, but it's it's a great place to go if you're just starting out because MAST is a lot more... There's more detail to it and there are more missions, whereas the HLA is just Hubble. But if you need JWST data, you're going to go to MAST. And man, I can't even imagine if I was just starting out and didn't know anything. It can be easy if you say you just want to search for any random NGC galaxy. um, Just type it in and it will show you all the observations for that particular spot in the sky. I think a lot of people, especially like a backyard astronomer, are going to Try searching for like a Messier object first, and most of those are really—they're big for a space telescope. So they're surprised, I guess, when they see the results, and it's like, oh, I can't see a whole galaxy. I just see <laughs> basically like one little tiny spot in that galaxy. So
0: yes, there's a downside to even to that now and then.
2: You want to get a whole portrait of a galaxy, usually, but sure, it's great seeing close-ups too. I think it, it's just surprising to people maybe at first when they learn to switch from backyard mode to oh now we're <laughs> we're working with the big telescopes you know it's a yeah. different mindset I think you can really get some exploration done when you got a such a big telescope because you you know you, even though other people have studied it you haven't personally studied it so you can learn a lot of new things that like oh wow I didn't know that was to look like that i like the wolf ray at 140 picture oh it, i was going to bring just...
0: up well, i was going to bring up uh wr 140 binary star in Cygnus that has these gorgeous concentric rings that are emanating from its core it's just it, it, it will we'll try to put that one on the uh, show page so people can see what i'm talking about because i can't possibly do it justice but what were you going to say about it
2: it's not aliens
0: well all right Uh, we don't absolutely know that but no i of of course
2: and it's not it's not fake and it's not a problem with the telescope (laughs) if it was a problem with the telescope it would be in the news just like the hubble blunder right yeah yeah it's it's a real thing it's still generating mentions on my twitter account i keep reading Every new person that sees it has their own idea of what it could be, and a lot, of, uh, almost all of them are wrong. Um, <laughs> it's it's really funny. I mean, it's pull, it's pulling all the the uh, how to call them
0: <laughs> the crazies,
2: the crazies out of the woodwork.
0: Yeah, they're out there.
2: Very imaginative.
0: Yes, yeah, and and you know, it can be entertaining sometimes uh, when it's not simply irritating.
2: As long as they're not like in my face angrily saying it's fake, then I'm fine. I just like <laughs> some of them I reply to, but most of them I just like you 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 go you do you.
0: Yeah, I have the same philosophy. And I was afraid that you would say some of them angrily contact you saying that you're part of the grand conspiracy that's hiding, you know, the inner meaning of those concentric
2: rings. No. I, <laughs> very, very few replies are, you know, flat earthers or people who think that everything NASA puts out is fake the ones that do i simply mute them if they're particularly bla- bad i will block them but i i can't let them take space in my head
0: <laughs> I, I compliment you on that uh, we don't we deal with them now and then but uh, i I'm, our audience is generally pretty well grounded and uh, and just loves yes. these for the beauty that they represent in the real universe so um let me ask you about another one uh, since we're on the topic this terrific image reminded me of some of the stuff that Emily used to do, still does, within the solar system, showing different objects in their actual relative size to one another. The image of a hundred planetary nebulae. And then you said, how many can you name? It's uh, pretty gorgeous as well.
2: Oh, gosh, that's, that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, and I probably couldn't name very many of them.
0: <laughs> I, I Don't worry, I couldn't get more than two or three. It's beautiful. I mean, what made you think, hey, nobody's ever put all of these together in one image in the right scale, you know, so that they're all Mm. in the same scale. I just thought it was a fascinating approach.
2: It was one of those things where I was like, wow, these things are so amazing and I need to process all of them. It was like catching Pokemon or something. (laughs) I, I I was searching through the archive and trying to find all of them and... Later on, I found out I did not get all of them, but it's close enough, but it's, it's hard to, uh, it's really hard to find them all. And then I, after I had processed all, I'm like, you know, I wonder which one of these are really, like, I wanted to see them next to each other. And I started putting that collage together and that's where it ended up.
0: It's a real collection of beauty, that one. Um, here's another, the Helix Nebula in infrared. Uh, I'm going to guess that Peter Jackson is sad that this image wasn't around when he was making The Lord of the Rings so that he could base the Eye of Sauron on it. It's, <laughs> it's pretty yeah. spooky and beautiful.
2: Yeah, that's what people like to call it. <laughs> There's a few <laughs> Eye of Sauron images. There's another Wolf-Rayet star that people like to call the Eye of Sauron. That came from the Spitzer Space Telescope. I can't remember if I used Wise too, but... Yes, that was pre-JWSC. It would be awesome if JWSC could look at that, although I don't know. It might have to mosaic. It's kind of a big picture. Mm. You know, that brings up an
0: interesting point, that that some of your images are composites that are drawn from different sources. And, and of course, we've talked about this on Planetary Radio because now we're seeing stuff that's combined from you know, Hubble or maybe now JWST with x-ray images and uh, 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 ultraviolet. Is that useful? Is that something that happens a lot?
2: Sometimes it's useful, but other times not. Like, Wise and Spitzer work very well together because hmm. the relative resolution between the two is not too far apart. Spitzer is obviously much finer detail than Wise, but- They're close enough that I can put them together and create a nice color image. And the reason that happened was because I found that Spitzer does sort of something in between that I can put in the green channel. The green channel, I I call it the most important channel because that's where your eyes are most sensitive and that's where I want the nicest data to go. So I put the Spitzer data in the, the green channel and... I can't quite remember where I put the WISE data. <laughs> it probably goes in the blue and maybe the red, but you've seen WISE images alone, right? They look sure. incredibly colorful. The stars are completely separated from the nebulosity. So in order to sort of bring those together, you need another data set that sort of merges the stars. And the... <laughs> Or you can make a two color image too. I've done those and those come out pretty well, but. I love to have a three color image to generate that color dimensionality. It it just adds so much to it to not be two colors or, you know, monochrome. So, yeah, I started looking for things that both. Well, obviously, WISE did, I guess, almost the entire sky. I think there may have been a few things it it couldn't reach or I don't. Anyway, I digress.
0: WISE, which has now become Neo WISE, uh, Amy Meinzer at the University of Arizona been a guest uh, of ours many times on the show uh, now looking for near earth objects and having some good success but yeah and its previous incarnation doing all that great work uh, across the universe uh, uh, right and- so
2: there's actually i think there's still a lot that could be done with those and it's just a matter hmm. of looking at spitzer's archive and saying oh you know this is a this is a really good image nobody's done it before and then pulling the wise data over and combining them together, I just don't have time to do everything, <laughs> especially now that I have a kid. He's out there. I'm just waiting for him to start, you
0: know, knocking on. The start door. complaining. <laughs> oh, we better move along then, because I know how that can be. Well, I- I'm amazed. He can't
2: she- talk yet, so.
0: Oh, okay. Well, even that can be even more demanding. Um, Congratulations, by the way, on that production as well. Um, Thank you. I'm also remembering how many times I've talked to scientists, uh, like Cassini scientists, who have their morning meeting, and uh, uh, the first thing that they do is look at an image from some. Amateur so-called amateur image processor like you and marvel at it because it's not something that they ever were going to have time to uh, to work on. And so the degree to which they rely on work from you and people like you, I mean, really, there's a seemingly endless list of organizations, news sites, YouTubers, other image processors. And, you know, like I said, the just plain space geeks like me who who share your work. Even though I know a lot of scientists have deep appreciation for your work, you, you sometimes are concerned about. I think you put it as uh, whether you might be stepping on the feet or the toes of uh, of some of these uh, teams that uh, are working with these great space telescopes. Uh, do do you feel that way?
2: Sometimes I, I worry about it. I'm not seeking to take recognition and like sort of scoop their their releases, it, but. I, I just get excited about it and I do sometimes get contacted by astronomers who are like, Hey, you know, hold off. Don't, don't post this to Twitter quite yet. Let's try to do something so that we're more coordinated. But with these larger institutions, I know they have a whole team they're working with and they, they can't just put an image out instantly. They're trying to, you know, organize it and get everything, I guess, so they don't get these random questions like, what is this? They want to have it all up front and say, explain it and say, we know what this is mostly sort of, <laughs> I mean, not everything is known. Otherwise, why would we have space telescopes? So yeah, I don't want to be like, oh, I'm I'm better than than these people. I don't, I'm not. And absolutely, I feel like a lot of the images, especially like say the two color Jupiter image was fairly simple to put together. I think that would have existed without me for sure like they would have come up with that on their own The three color image maybe not but
0: i yeah i wonder if they would have because they're awfully busy people right and right. and i think that on balance what you bring to this and what you add to bring to their work i think it's it's vastly appreciated i think the appreciation for it vastly outweighs uh, any feelings of, Oh, yeah, we were going to do that.
2: <laughs> Sometimes I try not to, like, if they're going to post, like, say this recent image of the tarantula nebula, I, there's a chance that I won't even do that because they've already done it so well that nobody needs me to come in and be like, her, her, look at what, what I can do. Um, <laughs> every now and then there's, there's things that I just have a personal interest in and there's, sort of a lull in activity and i'll go back to one of the big image releases and process it but yeah i'm not trying to create conflict or scoop them so to say
0: (laughs) my guess is that most people understand that you and people like you do this out of your love for it and uh, wanting to to share what our boss bill nye calls the passion beauty and joy the pb and j
2: yeah, PB and J. That's funny. <laughs> I named my kid Benedict so that we could be Pat Benedict and Judy. So it's PB and J. Sorry. Oh, I didn't, that's <laughs> great! Thing. I love that. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm
0: going to tell Bill about that. Uh, more mm-hmm. PB and J. This takes so much time and so much
2: work. I, why do you do this? What What do you get out of it? Uh, like I said earlier, it's it's a way of exploring the universe like Wolfray at 140. That excited me. Uh, that's why I ended up posting it to Twitter with this regrettable description. I feel like it was partly my fault for opening the can of worms, worms and saying, <laughs> I don't know what this is. And because that really opened people up to saying, like giving their own ideas and saying, well, I think it could be this, or are you sure this is a real thing? So <laughs> I uh, saw that. Yeah. yeah, but somebody at signed me. How can we say that on Twitter? And they were like, have you seen this? Do you know what this is? And I was like, whoa, what the heck is that? I missed it. I, I was like, how could I miss this? Because <laughs> it was like already a month old and other people had processed it and posted it on Wikipedia I was like, what? No, I have to do it. <laughs> So,
0: I saw other people's work, and I have to say, um, I thought yours uh, took the cake. I it was, it is a, a gorgeous image. Go ahead. Sorry,
2: yeah. I was just going to continue on about how it, it's a way for me to explore. That's what I personally get out of it. It's also kind of meditative for me to put these different data sets together and puzzle them out. You know, it's like if you had a jigsaw puzzle and you're just like trying to put it together, it's. It's a sort of meditative thing. If you like puzzles, it gives me something to focus on. You know, I love sharing it with people too. And that's the third thing that I get out of it. I love I love to let people join me on this trip, this cosmic trip.
0: That's a great way to describe it. I love that. Um, let me ask you about one other image. And it's the one that Elizabeth Howell kind of focused on when she talked to you for space.com. It is just gorgeous. I can lose myself in it. It's M74, the Phantom Galaxy.
2: Yeah, that one was like so far the most I feel like the most impressive galaxy out of that Fangs dataset. Their their whole program is amazing. They've got so many beautiful galaxies in the Hubble dataset already, and now they're adding these JWST images to that already gorgeous <laughs> like like it, it's just one after another a beautiful galaxy and they're they're all different they all have different reasons for for looking at this particular galaxy that particular one is just like wow and i thought yeah. i think they thought that another one of them i can't remember the number because i'm terrible at remembering the numbers but the the one with the very thick dust bars I'm not going to be able to help you. I can't. keep Yeah, I know. Spirit. I know. <laughs> I can look it up real quick, <laughs> yeah. real
0: quick. Don't worry about it.
2: I mean, they were like, "Why aren't these dust bars showing up?" And I think the thing is, it's not that that they don't show up. They show up great. It's just that all the other dust also shows up, and so all of a sudden, these this, these backlit dust lanes that were very prominent in the visible spectrum suddenly they're just as prominent as every other bit of dust. So it's like it. <laughs> they sort of just blended in and it was like, oh, hmm. well, it's still a good looking galaxy. It's just, oh, yeah. it's just like, huh, a little underwhelming, I guess. <laughs> they were hoping for another thing like the phantom galaxy, I guess.
0: Do you have advice for anyone who might be listening to this and looking at your work and would be intrigued and might want to follow in your footsteps, join this community of image processors?
2: Don't give up. I guess it, It's not going to be something that you get good at overnight. It Mm -hmm. took, I think, at least four to six months for me to really feel like I was comfortable with. And that was processing nonstop. That was when I really had nothing else to do with my time. I didn't have a kid. I didn't even have a cat. (laughs) And Pat was at work all day. Pat, my spouse. Even just full time going at it as much as I could stand. (laughs) It's still a... I was just taking in all this information and yeah, after that amount of time, and I'm still learning new Hmm. techniques and coming up with new ways to sort of solve the puzzle. Gosh, even after using Photoshop itself for over 20 years, I'm learning things about Photoshop too. (laughs) There's a lot and astronomy itself has a lot of different subspecialties. From specialty to specialty, even other astronomers have a hard time. Like, if they're specialized in one thing, like galaxies, they're not necessarily going to know a lot about planets. <laughs> Astronomy itself sounds like, oh, you have just an astronomer that they study everything. But no, there's there's people who study just active galactic nucleus, like the black holes. The people who study stars and not just, like, one segment of star, like, could be... Star formation versus the end of—I don't like to say that stars die because they're still there even after they stop fusing. That's true. Energy yeah. source. I, I feel like they different. just. Uh, I like that. I don't know why. I just—I I don't like saying that stars die. Uh, I've always taken an issue with that, for lack of a better word, right now.
0: I like your approach to that. I, I think I'm going to try and change my reference to uh, dying oh, okay. stars. From- <laughs> So you've had uh, even more influence, uh, and this time wasn't even directly related to an image. Your work, well, maybe you're best known for the image processing work, but you are also an artist of original work. And I'm thinking in particular in this case of this absolutely beautiful image of Saturn and its rings. And you can see the individual ring particles. I've seen that image for a long time in many places and did not know until a couple of days ago that that was something that you had uh, put together. Uh, Very, very nice work. Um, And and then I read your description of it, and it looked like you were, you're hoping that you got this right, but we don't really know yet.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that you've seen it in so many different places. I didn't, I didn't think it was very widespread. And there's, there were other images that I felt like maybe did it better than I did I <laughs> it's just beautiful
0: it's just it, it, it's really I'll use the you. word again yeah. it's breathtaking and <laughs> we'll put that one on the page uh, sure. as, yeah. as well Judy you've been very generous with your time and certainly with your skills your talents thank you for all of this gorgeous work I look forward to seeing much more of it I'm stealing this from from you since it's your motto on Twitter May all your guide stars be acquired, uh, Judy and, and also add Astra to the star.
2: <laughs> yeah. Those guide stars, sometimes, sometimes they are not acquired. And yeah, it's a very sad day when you get your, <laughs> your billion dollar telescope data back and it's just a streak. Oh man, that, that's just, that's got to be heartbreaking.
0: I'm going to stretch the metaphor here and say I think that your images are providing uh, guide stars for a lot of uh, people uh, as they become more interested in the wonders of, uh, of the cosmos. So, again, thank you for this great work, and thank you for taking some time with us today.
2: You're welcome, and thank you for inviting me.
0: Artist and astronomical image processor extraordinaire Judy Schmidt. We've put some of her work that we talked about on this week's show page at planetary.org radio, along with links to her Flickr collection and much more. It's time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. Here is the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, Dr. Bruce Betts, who is very glad, I'm sure, to be uh, talking with me virtually this time welcome.
3: I am indeed, and uh, but I've looked it up and apparently I can only catch computer viruses by doing this. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. But I'm, I'm so sorry you've got COVID, Matt. You're, yeah. I, I, I feel badly for you. Uh, I do want to, at the risk of changing my behavior entirely, compliment you. First, let's compliment me. I've been on every show that we've ever done in 20 years. Yes. Matt has like never missed a show. I, I twisted his arm like a decade ago and he ran a mostly repeat a couple times. Doesn't matter, come rain, shine, COVID, he not only records the show, he produces it, he edits, edits it, and he makes it the glorious piece of art that it is, even while sitting there with some nose thing that makes him look ridiculous <laughs> but helps him breathe. That we appreciate it. I can't believe you you do this and have done this, and I, uh, I I'm I'm in awe.
0: Hey, the breath ride is because I'm going out for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, it has nothing to do with COVID. What?
3: <laughs> oh God, <laughs> they're having enough problems. <laughs> they're doing they're doing okay.
0: Thank you. Um, I I appreciate all of that. And uh, yeah, you're right. Every single show, even the ones with repeated uh, features, and those have been few and far between has had uh, new content, especially a brand new What's Up? Because after all, the night sky changes every week.
3: It it waits for no one. (laughs) Uh, So let's talk about the night sky and uh, the evening sky when the sun sets. If you look over in the east, you'll see really bright Jupiter looking lovely. And if you look uh, up above it a ways, you'll see yellowish Saturn looking lovely. And if you wait, Two, three, four hours until the late evening, you'll see Mars come up. And Mars getting brighter and brighter as we get closer in our orbits. And it's hanging out near Aldebaran, the bright reddish star in Taurus. But it puts Aldebaran to shame right at the moment because of (laughs) its glorious brightness. And you might be able to check out Mercury, not quite yet, but in a few days in the pre-dawn sky low in the east. On to this week in space history. Nothing. Well, there were a couple things this week. Insignificant things. Um, 1957, uh, October 4th. What is that? Sputnik. Sputnik was launched. Yeah. So first spacecraft. And then NASA was started a year later, October 1st, the official beginning of NASA. Yeah. No coincidence there, by the way. No. We move on to random, mum, 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 spay, mate, mate, bay, bay, Fact.
0: Oh, that sounds so good with the reverb.
3: Oh, nice. How far away is Voyager 1? Well, I'm glad you asked. As of September 2022, so now as we record this, in the amount of time it takes to send a radio signal at the speed of light to Voyager 1 and... Have it return a signal back at the speed of light. You could drive from L.A. to Boston with almost two hours to spare. Wow. This random space fact assumes a straight path with no brakes at 100 kilometers per hour.
0: (laughs) All right. Yeah, I guess you'd still be within the speed limit. Uh, No stops for gas or or potty brakes?
3: No, I, I, you know, I'm a planetary scientist. I simplify things. (laughs) We approximate
0: but still come up with about the right answer. That is a great random space fact. Thank you.
3: You're welcome. We move on to the trivia question. I asked you approximately, so, you know, kind of close, how long from launch will it take Korea's Denuri mission to reach the moon? It's on its
0: way right right as we speak and how do we do, Matt? We got a nice response. Thank you everybody. Here is uh, the answer, I think, from Dave Fairchild in Kansas, the Poet Laureate of Planetary Radio. "Danuri" means enjoy the moon. So can you give an answer to why it's headed toward the sun? Ballistic lunar transfer. (laughs) It's heading out to point L1, Lagrangian, remember, and should be captured by the moon around 16 December. Actually, he did provide the number of days as well. But I'm going to look to our, I think, our winner, first-time winner, long-time listener, William Nowak, who says it's about 19 weeks and a day, August 4 to December 16, which is, uh, and there's some question about this. Some people said 134 days, which is what this would be. Some said 135. Is this close enough?
3: That is close enough. That's as accurate as I could find it online, and there may be a little, little fudge. But yeah, 134, 135 days to get to the moon. And to get to the moon, indeed, oddly, they travel to not the Earth-Moon L1 Lagrange point, which my brain might have understood, but the Earth-Sun L1 Lagrange point, a gravitational balance point, because then they go out there, they do it just right. They actually can use less fuel by hitting that gravitational balance point and then doing their thing and kind of cruising into an orbit anyway, they get there, they'll get there. We're looking forward to it. Uh, just impressive, certainly competing for one of the longest trips to the moon ever, but uh, very cool. Congratulations to the to Dory team for successful missions so far.
0: And congratulations, William, up there in beautiful, on the beautiful central California coast you are going to receive that brand new and stunning jwst t-shirt from our friends at chopshopstore.com that's all one word by the way it's where you will also find the planetary radio t-shirt which uh i'm kind of biased i'd say it's as beautiful in fact all of the planetary society uh merch is there at chopshopstore.com i have more of course from Norman Kassoon in the UK, Danuri is a portmanteau ooh, of two Korean words, dal, which means moon, and nurida, which means enjoy. According to the ministry, this new name implies a big hope and desire for the success of South Korea's first moon mission. Well done.
3: Do you know what a portmanteau of our, our names is, Matt? Brat. <laughs>
0: How appropriate. How oh, yeah. We should have discovered that years ago. Carlos Tello in uh, Germany. He was in South Korea a couple of years ago. What a nice and exciting country and culture. He says, I especially enjoy the volcanic island of Jeju in the south. That island has a very nice role in the Korean dramedy, Extraordinary Attorney Woo, that my wife and I have been enjoying. It's an excellent show. I I recommend it very highly. Uh, It's a beautiful island, too mel powell says it's also close to the time that it would take for him to drive from his san fernando valley home to planetary society headquarters in l.a's well
3: <laughs> well yeah at least during traffic time yeah
0: ben owens in australia 9.6 lunar days he's right i checked are about as long as an average australian household takes to consume a small jar of vegemite which is interesting. <laughs> i thought australians would go through that more quickly a small jar of vegemite would last the typical american family basically forever because we would yeah work.
3: yeah <laughs> until the estate sale
0: Ertan uzak in arizona if you drive at around 75 miles per hour on a direct path you will get to the moon in 135 days, no stopping for gas. Remarkable, huh? He had no idea what your random space factor would be.
3: <laughs> and I had no idea what his answer would be. So, yes, we're just great minds thinking alike.
0: I Absolutely. Joe Caliputre in New Jersey. I recommend that the shadow cam, that's the camera that Denuri is carrying, be nicknamed Lamont Cranston. Do you get it? Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The Shadow Knows.
2: <laughs> I, f-
3: I forgot the Shadow. That was the Shadow's name? That's right. I remember that beginning to the, to the radio show, but okay, wow. Sure, we'll suggest
0: it. Daniel Sorkin in New York closes us out with, Go, Januri and congratulations to our friends in South Korea on this mission.
3: That's good. Good stuff. Did you want some, some good stuff for next time?
0: Please. Why break the habit now?
3: <laughs> so, hey, did you see that spacecraft impact the asteroid?
0: I did catch that.
3: There's an interesting uh, history of the uh, getting to that point. And uh, one of the pieces, of many pieces, was there was an ESA, European Space Agency, studied mission, just studied, called Don Quixote which never went beyond a study, but was one of the many pieces that led to DART and HERA. So here's your question. What were the two spacecraft to be named that were to be part of the Don Quixote mission had it existed? Go to planetary.org slash radio contest.
0: I have a guess, which I would not be a bit surprised to learn is accurate, but I guess I'll just have to wait To find out, Uh, you have until the 5th, that'd be October 5th at 8 a.m. Pacific time, to get your answer in. What else could we give away this week except a Planetary Society kick asteroid, rubber asteroid?
3: Cool. You know what would also be great? What? Used Matt Kaplan Breathe Right strips. (laughs) Huh? Huh?
0: I don't know. I, there's been a lot of talk about cloning me. And so I think it'd be a mistake to hand somebody a used brief strip. It probably wouldn't go well.
3: <laughs> That's terrifying. Okay. Ugh, are we done? We're done. All right, everybody go out there. Look up the night sky and think about Matt Kaplan getting really healthy. Thank you. And good night.
0: It is devoutly to be wished. I, uh, I, I appreciate that. It comes from the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, Bruce Betts, who joins us every week here for What's Up. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its often astonished members. You can start sharing their experience at planetary.org. Marco Verde and Ray Paletta are our associate producers, Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Ad Astra.